0: Our Father in heaven, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul regards himself as a servant of Christ and as a steward of the mysteries of God. Please, grant to me the humility of a servant as one who serves not himself but Christ and give me the faithfulness required of a steward as one who proclaims not himself but the message entrusted to him. We pray to you for Rodney this morning as he preaches elsewhere. And please, would you teach us and train us to grip hold of your truth and to be godly. In Jesus' name, amen. Angel Thornycroft lives in suburban Devon, so the Metro told me. Uh, And she was a lover of chickens. But her and her backyard chickens had a bit of a problem. They were in a bit of a kerfuffle. Uh, The local cunning foxes were treating her back garden as a little bit of a KFC establishment. Uh, And over the last year, she lost 30 chickens. Urgent action was required. So most of us, I guess, would go to B&Q, get the necessary MDF, and construct a solid, secure chicken run. Or you'd firm up the perimeter fence to guard off the foxes. Well, not Angel Thornycroft, no, no. She purchased two South American alpacas. As far as I can work out, an alpaca is basically a llama in suburban Devon. But she says, they hiss and they spit and they give off a good kick. I've not seen a fox come into my garden since I've had them. And she writes, Holly and Maurice... That's the names of the alpacas. Holly and Maurice are doing a wonderful job, and they mow my back garden. (laughs) See, the love and concern that Angel Thornycroft had for her chickens necessitated the implementation of this tag team of alpacas. But more to the point, the real danger of foxes necessitated this protective kick of an alpaca. Now, according to the Apostle Paul, elders are to the church in Crete what alpacas are to angels' chickens. The reason that Titus is to appoint elders in every city, as we saw last week, is so that they can fend off these foxes, these ungodly men, who are letting go of the truth. And just as the Apostle Paul last week explained to us the characteristics and the task of an elder. So this week, he's going to lay before us and paint a picture of these ungodly, truth-throwing away false teachers. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to walk through these verses and ask and answer three questions. How do we identify false teachers? How do we recognize false teaching? And then third, how do we deal with it? See, Paul wants to provide us with this understanding this morning as if to give us some warning lights. You know how in a car behind your steering wheel you have the dashboard and on that there are these warning lights. So you have the petrol light and the seatbelt light and the oil lights and the door open lights. And when one of those things is going wrong, these things flash at you so that you then take action. You fill up the tank. You check the oil. You phone your dad and say, Dad, what does this mean? You know them? Paul is, as it were, giving you these warning lights on the dashboard of your mind so that when you listen to a preacher, when you're listening to a sermon on your MP3 player, when you're reading a Christian book, when you're in conversation with another Christian or in your fellowship groups, if these warning lights start to flash, then action needs to be taken. Now here's where it gets interesting. Because in giving you these warning lights, we do so not just so that you can assess and evaluate what you hear out there, but also so that you evaluate what you hear in this building. No preacher is above the evaluation of God's Word. No pulpit is beyond the inspection of the Scriptures. So that as you read Titus this morning, You should be evaluating me and my life and my godliness. You see, myself, Liam, Paul, and Rodney are potentially the most dangerous people in this building. And so for the sake of your own soul, for the sake of Charlotte Chapel, you should be evaluating those who stand in this pulpit to see, well, are they alpacas or are they foxes? That is what you must do this morning. Now, this is a scary sermon for me to preach. Because if I do my job correctly in outlining what a false teacher is, and if my life is identified with being like that, then I could preach myself out of a job this morning. This could be my last sermon. And so with much fear and much trepidation, uh, let's get to work. So first... How do we identify false teachers? Paul's going to give us four warning lights on the dashboard of our minds. Here's number one. Know where to look. Have a look at verse 16. This is in some ways a key verse. Paul says of these false teachers, they claim to know God. In seeking to identify false teachers, the likelihood is you will not even have to leave the comfort of your own church building. They're in church. They are potentially sat next to you. They will come from among you, even from your own number. They claim to know God. They will look just like any other Christian. Look at halfway through verse 10. They're described as being deceivers. The whole point of deception is you don't know that it's happening to you. Is that not right? I don't know if you saw in the papers. I think it was a week before last. There was... A clown in Brazil who was standing for a seat in the Brazilian Congress. Did you see this guy? He was actually a clown. And they reckoned that a million people in Brazil were going to vote this guy into his seats. Now, the trouble with our politicians is it's hard to work out who the clowns are. They just blend in. It would be a whole lot easier if they turned up dressed as a clown. But even in Brazil, when this guy turns up, With a big red smile and a big red nose. Baggy trousers, big shoes. A million people vote for him. Come on, he's a clown. What are you doing? Well, when it comes to false teaching, we get no such giveaway. Because they'll claim to know God. They come to deceive. That's where to look. Well, how then do we pick our way through this deception? Well, Secondly, we are to watch their life. Go back to verse 16 again. Here's how to see through their deception. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. The actions are the giveaway. We already know that a knowledge of the truth in Titus leads to godliness. So you can reverse that. If if the men you listen to are ungodly the chances are they do not have the truth, which leads to godliness. Look at the adjective Paul uses to describe them. In verse 10, they are rebellious. In verse 16, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Christians are meant to be godly. They're not meant to blend into the culture that surrounds them. They're not meant to reflect the culture they live in. They're supposed to be different. But Paul's estimation of these guys, they're just like the Crecian culture. See that in verse 12? Always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. It's a horrible estimation of any culture, let alone people who are teaching in church. Just as an aside here, isn't, isn't it a tremendous testimony to God's grace? That in such an immoral culture, known for such infamous vices, God can still call a church into being. That in a place known for its ungodliness, God can call people out of that to know the truth and to be godly. Calvin says, a 16th century reformer, he commented, as if in the midst of hell, the church of Christ held a position. There is hope for Edinburgh, isn't there? If there can be a gospel witness in Crete, then there's hope for Edinburgh. Anyway, back to the point. Pastor teachers are meant to be godly. So the giveaway of false teachers is that they are not. They are ungodly. Behind their talk is meant to be this godly walk. So watch their lives. Observe who they are when they are not in the pulpit. How are they with their family? How are they at home? How are they when no one knows they're looking? Because a man who is ungodly is unfit for any pulpit. Ask the question of those you listen to. Do their actions confirm or deny their claim to know God? If not, there should be warning lights flashing. He's a fox. He's a fox. He's not an alpaca. He's a fox. Thirdly, discern their motives Look at verse 11, the last clause. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. Why? Here's the motive. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. These men are not teaching the truth, but they're fleecing the church by selling their lies. The seriousness of this danger is highlighted to us by... The amount of names in scripture of men who, for the love of money, let go of the truth. Do you remember Gehazi in 2 Kings 5? Do you remember the shepherds of Israel from Ezekiel 34? Who can forget Judas in the Gospels? Or what about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5? Money is a real danger. So you should be asking... Of the people that you are listening to, of your elders, are they known for generosity or greed? Of the people you listen to, if they speak more about giving them your money than they do about Jesus Christ, then warning lights should start flashing. If you're watching someone on the telly and constantly there is a bar at the bottom of the screen of the details of how you can give money to their church, then warning lights should start flashing in your minds. Discern their motives. Fourthly, observe their impact. Observe what is left behind them. What's in their wake? Look at verse 11. These men are ruining whole households. I think this is meant to take us back to what we looked at last week in verses 5 to 9. Remember the elder's house was supposed to be in order? Do you remember that? Well, these guys, rather than putting households into order they were just wrecking them they were leaving people disillusioned completely confused their impact was horrendous listening to false teachers is not a neutral thing you can't listen to them without them having a contaminating poisonous effect on you they will ruin you they will ruin you they are a dangerous influence. So Paul says we'll discern their motives but also observe their impact. Now, do you see that hobby horse of God, be godly, be godly, be godly still galloping through the letter? An elder is meant to be one who is, be, who is godly but a false teacher you can recognize them by their ungodliness. The pastors you need, the elders we appoint in our upcoming elections must be those who are godly. So watch their life, discern their motives, observe their impacts. Do they have the right behavior that comes from right belief? Do they have that complete devotion that comes from the sound doctrine? Well, if that's how to recognize, how to identify a false teacher, well, what about false teaching? How do we pick our way through their senseless babble, their mere talk? So let's look at this. How to identify false teaching. And remind yourself at this point that they are out to deceive. They don't come in clown costumes, but they come wearing a nice suit and holding a Bible in their hands. They may know their Bibles better than you do. They may use all the big theological terms. They may sound as if they're in the orbit of sound doctrine. It's hard to put your finger on where they're going wrong. But I'm always struck by when the devil tempted Jesus in the Gospels. Do you remember? He quoted scripture at Jesus. Just because someone has a Bible in their hand, or even has a Bible open in the pulpit, doesn't mean that they're worth listening to. They could be the devil in disguise. Because the devil has the Bible in his artillery. But let's look at them. These are men in verse 11 who are teaching things they ought not to teach. And in verse 14, at the bottom of it all, they are men who have rejected the truth. Let me make this point. I want to make this very clear. These are not men who are just picking apart and discussing the finer points of a Reformed theology. That's not what these guys are. They have completely rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so doing so, they actually offend the very character of God. Do you remember how God is described at the start of chapter 1? He is the God who does not lie. Yet these guys, by rejecting the truth, make God out to be a liar. But it's not only God offending, it is actually self-condemning. As these men grasp for some petty cash, a bit of financial gain, they forego all hope of eternal riches. As these men turn away from Jesus Christ, they turn to an existence of no Saviour from their sins. False teaching is serious. It offends God and it condemns those involved and those who follow them. So what are the warning lights for our mind? How how do we put these things on our dashboards? Well, two things. They had an interest in myths rather than the scriptures. You see that in verse 13? Paul says, Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they'll be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths. It seems like in Crete, these false teachers were supplementing the Bible with man made stories and fanciful additions. It's obviously a big problem. If you read 1 Timothy 1, the same advice is given to Timothy. It's probably that these men weren't saying, oh, get rid of the Bible completely. They were just raising these man-made stories, these myths to the same level as the Bible. Sure, have the Bible, but you you need this as well. And in doing so, they were just flagrantly saying that the Bible is insufficient. You need something more. Please be on your guard. Have that warning light flashing. Whenever you hear someone say, you need this book as well as the bible or when someone says oh you need to know this as well as the bible or when someone says you need tradition as well as the bible Paul says no the question we must always be asking is it in the book is it in the book so when you listen to someone preaching that is why you should have your bible open to check what they are saying is here or when someone in a fellowship group says something that sounds really good you say do you know what that sounds right could could you just show me it in the bible or when someone gives you wise advice you say yeah that sounds wise but can we just run it past the book is it in the book do you remember the bereans in act 17 they're described as always examining the scripture so that they might see if what paul said was true that must be us is it in the book is it in the book and if it's not it is to be rejected as a myth, not accepted as truth. At the heart of all false teaching is to grasp onto myths, is to let go of scripture. But, secondly, a second warning light for your dashboards they were concerned about ritual rather than Jesus. Look again at verse 14. Paul writes, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and don't believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. These men were obviously demanding obedience to certain commands, the observation of certain rituals to be a real Christian. It seems that one of them, in verse 10, must have been circumcision. So they taught that to be a Christian, to be pure, to be clean, you had to observe this. You had to do that. You couldn't eat that or you must wear this. Paul says, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. External things, ritual things, the observing of anything cannot make a corrupt man pure. To the corrupt, nothing is pure, he writes. Do you remember those adverts? I think they're still on. They they had a woman walking around the kitchen and I can't remember where the germs came from. Maybe she sneezed and on her hands came this kind of luminous green glow. Do you remember that? And as she goes around the kitchen, she prepares some food and the green glow goes to that and then she goes and touches her baby and the baby turns green and by the end of the advert, everything in the kitchen is green. The corruption just spreads. Well, Paul says, the corruption of our hearts is like that. That because we are corrupt from the inside outwards, any ritual that we observe, any act of obedience that we do is also corrupted. To those who are corrupted, nothing is pure. I mean, Jesus said this, didn't he? Are you so dull, Jesus Jesus said? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, ender, slander, arrogance, and folly. The point is obedience to any command or an observance of any ritual cannot make a corrupt person pure. But rather, the corruption of your heart will corrupt anything you do. It's as foolish as trying to clean your heart with cellet bang. <laughs> bang! The dirt's still there. It doesn't work. See, this is where the glory of the gospel shines forth. And I think, I think it's why in chapter 3, when Paul explains the gospel, he uses the language of washing. Paul writes... He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. False teaching will say, if you do this, then you'll be clean. The true gospel says you're so corrupt you can do nothing. You need Jesus, through his death on the cross, to cleanse you, to give you a new heart, a pure heart, so that then to the pure, all things are pure. Warning light should be going off in your mind when anybody says, oh, you have to go here once a week. Or you have to do this five times a day. Or you have to say this that many times. Now, to say that is to render the work of Jesus on the cross as insufficient, as incomplete. The elders we need, as we look to elect them, the pastors we need are those who teach the whole bible and only the bible and who exalt the person and work of jesus as the only way to salvation so if if that is how to recognize false teachers and that is how to identify false teaching what is titus's tactic to be what do we do well in a sentence paul says those who oppose the truth are themselves to be opposed. Paul gives Titus two commands. Firstly look at verse 11 they must be silenced. Shut them up remove them from further influence take away their platform remove their privileges silence them. No discussion, no committee meetings silence them. Now this goes against everything our culture our society tells us i went to a conference the week before last which was a conference for religious and moral education in our schools and it was run by christians but the repeated refrain throughout was teaching is not telling but it's only facilitating a decision that is we do not teach christianity as the truth in our schools but we just teach it as one voice among many. We just teach it alongside Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, Catholicism, uh, humanism. And we just lay them before the kids and say, okay, you decide which one's good for you. Paul says, no, we're not just a truth. We're not just one voice among many. But this is the truth. And Paul says, silence those who oppose. If it does not come from the God who does not lie, it can only come from one other place, from the father of lies, the devil. The reality is, false teaching will send people to hell. That is the seriousness of this. If you reject the Bible and reject Jesus then there is no savior left so Paul says silence them the word actually means muzzle put a muzzle on them this week I went for a walk at Crammond on my day off and it was a glorious day and all, all the people were out walking their dogs and the dogs seemed when they went in the sea they seemed to run towards me afterwards and I came home soaking but as I sat by the sea I saw this big dog charging towards me and I actually stood up in case I had to run away it was a big dog, more of a lion, horse type dog. But, but as, it, as it bounded towards me, I noticed it had a muzzle on. Now let me tell you, I was thrilled, no, delighted by that muzzle. Because it meant that dog could not rip me limb from limb. Paul says that is what you are to do to those who teach what is false, muzzle them shut them up so they can have no further pernicious influence, destructive influence, eternally bad influence on the church of Christ. You see, this is not an open pulpit. We do not believe in the freedom of misleading truth, the freedom of misleading speech, but rather there is to be a zero-tolerance policy in this pulpit. We stand for the truth, the whole truth, and nothing nothing but the truth now this highlights the task of an elder elders in the room you should be quaking in some regards because it is your job to do the muzzling please charlotte chapel pray for our elders you should be glad that they are going through a a grueling eight-week training course they meet this afternoon so that they can know what is true and discern what is false it is glorious that we have elders who are engaged in this task. And they're doing that for you. Secondly, as well as silencing them, they are to be rebuked. Verse 13. Do you see that? Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. They are specifically, personally, clearly, and strongly to be corrected. You say, oh, it sounds so negative. Discipline is almost a dirty word these days. But Paul says it is necessary. And do you see why it's necessary? Yes, he's negative, but he's negatively positive. It is so that they may be sound in the faith. Although the teaching of a false teacher ruins their hearers, Paul says we're not out to ruin them. In fact, we love them so much that we would rebuke them so that they too would come to know the truth. To silence them, and we're to rebuke them. Now this is why we need alpacas. Because there are foxes. And it is the job of elders to secure gospel witness in this city. We give thanks to God that for 200 years, Charlotte Chapel has been here holding fast to the truth. We rejoice that today we have godly elders who are gripping the truth. But we dare not presume. We dare not rest on our laurels. We dare not shy away from this hard task. Because we defend the truth today. We fight this fight today so that our children. And so that our children's children would be past this truth in all its purity. So that the leaders we pass on to our children are those who are godly and not deceivers. And are those who have the truth, not who throw it away. The church that neglects this task, the church that neglects this passage, is only one generation away from its death. Let's pray together. Praise to the Lord, who when darkness and sin are abounding, who when the godless are rampant, all goodness confounding, that you break forth as light, that you scatter the terrors of night, and you grant to surround your saints with mercy. Father, that is our prayer. Please, would you break forth as light in this city and would you scatter the terrors of night that the gospel witness from Charlotte Chapel and from other churches would proclaim the truth and exalt godliness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.